The music's on, the disco ball has dropped, and it's time to get this party started. You're listening to episode 26 of Disco Trek, a Star Trek Discovery after-party podcast here on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. I'm your host, Heather Barker, and unfortunately, Jeff Hewlett is lost in the Delta Quadrant. I'll be back soon, I'm sure, for the new season of Discovery. In the meantime, I still have two amazing hosts with me. They are both new members of our network. The first is the new host of Weekly Trek, our dear friend, Alex Perry. Welcome back and congratulations and welcome to the network, Alex. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to join. We are super excited to hear the first episode of Weekly Trek with you as the host coming very, very soon. Our other host tonight, you've heard her on Weekly Trek. You've heard her here on Disco Trek. She is new to our network and will be debuting soon with her own show. She is the great Allie Martinez. Hi, Allie. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on. Yay. I'm so excited to have both of you guys here. Um, I just knew right away that I wanted to reach out and have our newest network members come and join me to talk about two short treks tonight. We're knocking both out with this episode. So first we're going to talk about the brightest star and then we're going to talk about the escape artist. Um, since Jeff is not here with me tonight and normally handles the Patreon stuff, I'll just shout out really quickly. Uh, we do have a Patreon account to support the show. All of, all of our patrons are super amazing and wonderful. It doesn't matter if you donate a dollar a month, $10 a month. We are grateful for every little thing that you do, you get some pretty cool perks. You get first access to episodes. You get to listen to the unedited episodes, uh, which are often pretty fun. We have a special member pen and lots of cool, cool things. So our Patreon is the Tricorder Transmissions. So it's patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. Um, and we look forward to having you join our Patreon family. So... Since we're talking about short treks, the show is a little bit different tonight. We're just going to have a general discussion about these two, two short treks, Brightest Star first, and then the Escape Artist after that. Um, season two of Discovery is premiering very, very soon, next week, I think, at this point, on the 17th. Once it's back in the air, we will be going back to our usual formats, um, posting in the unofficial Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. You'll see the Disco Trek uh, album art on there and just comment to get a chance to come on the show. We will pick guests at random. We pick two guests for every episode. Um, and once you've been on the show, you can't come back. When we're in the off season, we let you come back as often as you want, but we want to make sure everyone gets a fair chance to participate. So keep an eye on the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group on Facebook. If you're not already a member, please go ahead and join and let you know, let us know you found us uh, via the podcast. All right. So we've got all of the short treks done now, although I heard, and Alex, you might know a little bit that uh, we're, these aren't going to be the last of the short treks. This is not the last of the short treks. Uh, Alex Kurtzman was doing a media blitz yesterday and the day before, uh, a bunch of pieces in Hollywood Reporter, Variety, um, and he announced that there would be at least two more short treks that would be released after season two. Um, that they'll be coming sometime, he said, in the spring of this year, so not too, too long after season two wraps, and that both would be animated. Um, oh. I don't know any more than that, just that there'll be two more animated short treks. Um, but it seems like from the other comments he was making around wanting to expand um, uh, the animated series and potentially add, we obviously already have the first announced animated series, which is Lower Decks, but uh, he said he also is planning at least one more animated series. So it's possible that the short tracks could be tied into, uh, into the plans to announce additional animated series. So like a little preview, maybe. Yeah, I think that's what would make the most sense. I mean, it's total speculation since we don't know anything about it, but th that would seem to me to be the thing that would make the most sense would be to do a little 15-minute like preview of what these shows are going to be like. That'll be kind of cool. Kind of yeah, that's really exciting. I had an inkling that they might do something like that, especially with Lower Decks, but now that they announced that there might be another possible animated series, it just makes it all the more exciting. Ah, the golden age of Star Trek yet again. Ah, there's so much good stuff. Make sure to listen to Weekly Trek. 
for all the news because I didn't even know that they were animated uh, animated short treks. So that's super exciting. Yeah. All right. So I think we can start this off by saying um, the short treks overall were really fun and everyone liked them for the most part. At least I think you guys will probably agree. I know there was some criticism, but Alex, are you a fan of the short treks? Yeah, I liked them all. I thought this was a nice, fun way of, of passing the time before season two. Um, you know, they were... I, I enjoyed them all, um, uh, but I thought that the they they were a bit mixed, um, uh, and uh, but you know I think I'm always interested in more Star Trek and and especially I think the what the short treks really allowed the show to do was kind of you know go deep in some character spaces that the regular show, at least in season one, as a consequence of, you know, sort of modern television making, really didn't get the opportunity to do. Um, so if we can get these additional sort of vignettes uh, on top of that, that allow us to kind of take that more reflective pause and 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 look more deeply at some of the characters, I'm, I'm all for it. Bring me a, bring me a new short trek every month that uh, there is not either a Discovery or a Picard show or a Lower Decks or anything like that. I'm, I'm all in. Sweet. Allie, what about you? Are you a fan of the short treks? Yes, I'm very much in the same boat. I like that they allowed us just a, it was just enough that kind of 15 minute, I mean, one of them was 18 minutes, but just around that, that time mark of those little kind of morsels that we wanted, especially with Brightest Star with Saru, I was so interested in learning about his character. But then in Runaway, we got to learn more about Tilly and we just got all these little great portraits that we Hopefully they'll like extend upon either in another short trek or maybe in a novel. I'd love that for Calypso to mm. learn more about that. But yeah, I think there's been chatter of uh, not rumored, like not that it's going to happen, but that um, a graphic novel with about Calypso might be really cool to read uh, something like that, because, you know, who knows what we're going to get in any relation to that one. Like of the four short treks, uh, that one was definitely the, uh, what's the word, the most removed from, you know, not having any main characters save the ship who we only know as Discovery and not as Zora. Uh, but, but yeah, I'm in the same boat. I really enjoyed these. I am glad that we got a little tidbit of Discovery every month. Uh, it was a lot of fun and I liked, I liked watching social media and seeing the reactions because they were very mixed and, it seemed a lot, a lot of people, it was either love or hate it, depending on which one. Um, I did some polls, uh, and we can maybe talk about that at the end of the show if we have time. But let's go ahead and talk about The Brightest Star, which, as Ali said, was our Saru episode and was pretty much heralded as being a character deep dive on Saru, that we were going to go to his home world, we were going to meet some of his family, and indeed, those things happened. Um, so overall, like first reaction, Ali, did you like this short trek? Um, did, it, did it live up to your expectations? Yes, it did. I very much liked it. I thought that it offered just this great backstory. While it wasn't too much of a backstory, we weren't really overwhelmed with so much of this information about Saru. It was just enough. I... I thought, I mean, he's such a fascinating character and in Discovery, we know almost nothing about him. So we kind of got to see not just his own development, but we got to see his family and his home world. And it, it offered just that inside look that I wanted. So it was great. Awesome. Alex, what about you? I really liked this one. It was a, it's a really interesting contrast with um, Calypso. Yeah. Calypso was very different and very experimental and felt like they, you know, just wanted to kind of take an opportunity to try out something radically different to see how it would land. Mm -hmm. um, and The Brightest Star was much more kind of more of a very traditional Star Trek episode, right? I mean, it's a it's a it's an origin story. It's a prime directive story. It's an overcoming uh, great odds to you know flourish story um, and and so it was it really was like sort of wrapping yourself in 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 a comfort blanket where Calypso I thought was you know more challenging and I think that's why the the um, response to it was much more polarized 
um, when it came to The Brightest Star, I mean, it was kind of classic Star Trek through and through. Yeah. And this one felt like the most intimate to me. Uh, and I say that oddly enough with Calypso having been a very intimate story between Kraft and Zora, this was intimate in a different way. It was, you were, you were not only getting to know Saru more, you were, you were on Kaminar, you were in his home, uh, and, and the, the entire story, it just, it was, it was very touching. And I think at this point, I can certainly say that the brightest star is my favorite short trek. Uh, and it just continues to kind of drive home that I think that Saru has become my favorite discovery character, even though that's still really hard to pick a favorite. <laughs> um, but okay. So here's, here's the big question I have to ask, and I'm sure everybody talked about this, um, but I don't know. What was y'all's reaction when we found out about the the Baul and how they they take the Kelpians from Kaminar? Um, Alex, was it what you were expecting? Was it a little bit different? Uh, actually, it was pretty different than what I was expecting, but but not in a bad way. Um, I you know when all we really knew up to this point was. Uh, the sort of things that that Saru said in the pilot episode about how you know his um, you know species map is binary and my people are hunted for food, um, which made it sound much more like uh, kind of a you know lions on the savanna type mm-hmm. situation. Um, and this was very different than that, but actually probably makes a whole lot more sense for you know a an advanced society to sort of treat the Kelpians much more like, you know, how we treat livestock today rather than, you know, more of kind of a more primitive sort of hunter-gatherer society in which, you know, there are, there are Kelpians running away. I mean, it certainly could be the case mm-hmm. that in a, in a previous iteration uh, that that was true, but the Baul have sort of, you know, advanced to the point where they, they sort of have a, you know, a farming technique for, uh, for Kelpians, but but I've got it to the point where you know there had to be be a reason why the Kelpians were sort of satisfied with their lot in some ways, mm-hmm. um, and I think this really nicely does that because it says that you know they're it's it's part of their religion, um, and we know that religion is a really powerful thing, um, and and so as a result, you kind of have this status quo on Kaminar. Yeah, I, I guess they're like cage-free Kelpians. I mean, it, it's a good point because, you know, f- farming practices in America are still not great. Uh, not so, great. Uh, you know, I, I say I say don't go read about how your, you know, food is pros- farmed and processed, but actually do because it might change how you look at food. Um, however, it, it does make sense that they would try to keep their food source as happy and content as possible because happy and content Kelpians and our cows and or other animals uh, ideally are healthier. Uh, but that's a very, very general statement and is not always true. It's, it's something that I think we want to believe that, you know, doesn't necessarily happen based on the actual farming practices. Um but Ali, what was your reaction when we found out the story was a little bit different? Yeah, I actually, I'm going to bring up a point that while you guys were talking came to me. So I know in the pilot that Saru says all that stuff about how they're, they're hunted as livestock, but how do they actually know where those people go? Do, mm-hmm. Did it happen? Like, did they do it in a, the Ba'ul hunted differently and now they changed their tactics? Because, I mean, we never really see where those people go. Are they for food or are they used for slave labor, etc.? I mean, Saru's father kind of mentions that the Ba'ul need to be sustained in a way and people have to be sacrificed, but we never really figure out how exactly it is that they sustain them, I guess. (laughs) So I guess that's where I'm coming from. We had reference to the pain of Ahari, which... (laughs) I wasn't even explained. I don't know if either of you read um, the Saru book, uh, Discovery book, Fear Itself. I think, Alex, you might have. Yes, and it, di- it did not. It, it named Kaminar as the home planet, but just right. like the first season of Discovery, it sort of skirted around 
a lot of those extra details. Apparently, um, James Swallow had written um, his own version of what Kaminar was like and ultimately was told by the writer's room to take all that out because they wanted to, they, they wanted to do this yeah. and, I don't, and put it in the show. I don't recall like getting any of the religious aspect in the book. Um, I don't remember reading about, you know, the watchful eye and the pain of Bahari, Bahari or any of that. So uh, spoiler alert, uh, I, I, my understanding is that we are supposed to be seeing um, Saru's family, which we haven't mentioned yet, but um, his father, um, which I wrote down in cursive and can't read my own handwriting, Eridar, right? Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. And his sister, Serana. Um, and I think we're supposed to see them again sometime in season two, maybe? Hopefully. Yes, we are. And I, my, I speculate that the piece that we're going to see in season two is sort of the, what happens after the, the Kelpians are harvested by yeah. the Ba'ul and we'll see the Ba'ul and, um, uh, and sort of the implications of that. Uh, total guess just based upon like three frame grabs from the trailer. Um, but I think we're going to get much more of a deep dive into the what happens after the uh, the Kelpians are, uh, are what seem to be transported up to the Ba'ul ship. Um, turn into a very good setup with the short trek uh, because there are questions. I mean, all of these short treks have kind of left us with some questions um, because you can't answer everything in less than 20 minutes, right? So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, and and finding out more, um, but yeah, I was I was a little surprised as the episode unfolded, and we we heard because like you, Alex, I was very much thinking of like a lion and gazelle type of chase, and that's not what happened. Um, and in the past couple months, I guess it's been since the episode came out. Um, like Ali, I was I was you know questioning, okay, what really happens, and how to number one like. Did they evolve, like you said, Alex, from some kind of lion gazelle type hunt into this very organized uh, sustainment <laughs> of the Baul, we'll say. But yeah, we just see them transported and or I think some people assume they were vaporized. Uh, to, to me, I kind of assumed it was a transporter situation, but then we don't know what happens after the fact. Uh, but I came across this quote in the Hollywood reporter from Doug Jones, uh, when talking about it in season one, I pictured it more like a cattle. I pictured it more like cattle being herded more of a farming situation that my people went along with. I looked at the brightest star script and saw it was more ritualistic that was a bit of a surprise, but a good one that makes more sense. We're sentient beings, we're smart, we're imaginative, and emotional beings that can connect and have families. So it wouldn't make sense that we act like cattle. We accept the ritualistic religious aspect that there's a great balance to be had, and we're a part of that. So I just really appreciate that, you know, Doug Jones had the same reaction <laughs> And, and, you know, was able to process that and change his perspective of, of what happens with this race. So I'm definitely excited to see uh, what happens, uh, you know, wh whenever we see them, because we certainly haven't gotten a, a glimpse of that with any of the previews yet. Uh, I don't know, any speculation on, on how we may see them again? Do we just go back to Kaminar? I'm kind of like on the same board with Alex, where... I well, how can they introduce something like the Ba'ul and do something and show that and then just like let it lie, you know? So they've talked about how in season two, you know, there are these seven red bursts and the red angels and, and all of that. And then the, the way they've talked about the structure of the season is that 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 story will kind of underpin the whole 14 episodes but that there will be sort of little kind of more episodic pieces and side quests and, and, and rather than being one total story, it might be five or six stories um, that have sort of, you know, kind of themes that, that, that connect them all together. And I think that, you know, we will probably through 
part of the journey that the ship goes on, find our way back to Kaminar for some reason. The Ba'u will have some piece of information about the red bursts, or maybe one of them is nearby. Um, And that sort of takes them into proximity. And then there's this opportunity to sort of interact with them. Um, I think we, we may see something like that happen, you know, over the course of one episode, which I think is fabulous. You know, I think I, I like the idea of more, of merging the sort of season one true serialized, you know, peak television um, way of telling a story with sort of the older style of having sort of discrete episodes that told their own uh, individual stories. So I think it could be fun. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be a big deal because Saru left, like he sacrificed his connection to his planet his people and his family. They they had no idea. I you know, I, I, I feel like his sister kind of was curious, like there's there's maybe something going on here, but I'm not sure if she knew what was happening or not. I'm a really light sleeper personally, so if someone was playing with computer parts in my room, like I it would wake me up. Uh, <laughs> but it's I mean it's I'm I'm really, really excited to see the reunion. Uh, especially with Serana. I thought that Serana, despite not having many lines and not really getting to speak them until the, the middle of the of the short trek, um, I thought she was really beautiful. I thought her her makeup was really, you know, it, I don't want to say she looked like a girl, uh, but they were able to, again, like make her makeup different uh, and, and just her eyes, I don't know about you guys, but I found her eyes to be a lot like Laurel, just like very expressive and that a lot of her emotion was coming through her eyes and not so much the rest of the makeup. Yeah, I love the quote that she says right before Saru kind of meets up with Jojo when she says, um, hands him the little like, whether those are shears or a knife or whatever she hands him. And she says, look down every now and then there's beauty there as well. Yeah. I thought that was, I mean, not just in Saru's situation, but just a great quote in, I mean, in today's world too. Yeah, definitely. Well, did you guys have any, any comments about his, his sister or his dad? I thought they were interesting characters um, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of them. Um, You know, it, 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 it is interesting, you know, because Saru is sort of the, you know, that his father is this religion, you know, basically a priest of, you know, whatever this uh, Kelpian religion is. And Saru, his son, is the one who is sort of the black sheep and that he, you know, sort of rebels against the religion and ends up leaving. I think that could have, there could be a lot of really interesting stuff when he returns in season two um, between those two characters as they sort of grapple with their very divergent life paths. Yeah, I I just I found them both really intriguing characters. So I'm definitely curious what Aradar's reaction is going to be. I can't imagine he's going to be very happy. Um, but I I assume that there uh, maybe they've assumed that Saru was taken or died. I mean, obviously there was no body. Like he disappeared. There's no body. Maybe they found the the remnant of the bubble ship that Saru was using. Um, but did you guys find that Saru's uh, ability to kind of hack into the system and figure out how it worked, did that surprise you at all? Or did it fit in with his character? Alex, what about you? I think it was probably one of those things where you've only got 15 minutes in which to tell a story and, you know, you could easily spend five minutes trying to explain how he got the technological skills necessary to be able to, um, to understand it. They did seem to imply the passage of time. So, you know, even though the way it was sort of presented, you could look at it as he figured it out right away. It did also seem like you could take from that, that there was a a period of time um, over which he was sort of learning how it worked and taking it apart and putting it back together again. And, you know, it could just be the case also that the Kelpians, even though they don't live a particularly technologically sophisticated life, do have a natural affinity for um, technology. That's definitely an attribute that we've seen before 
um, in Star Trek that there are some species for whom it's that's just something that comes naturally to them. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where I think we. I think we have to be sort of aware that they're telling these kind of short 15 minute stories. And as a result, a lot of the kind of context and explanations for things that probably would be significantly more built out if it were a full episode, they just don't have the time for. And so, you know, they just sort of get glossed over, which is a choice, right? I mean, on the one hand, you could look at that as, as, as bad writing and just convenient writing. But on the other hand, I think, you know, it is sort of justifiable in some ways, given that would you rather kind of, you know, move on with the more substantive part of the story or would you rather dwell on, you know, kind of answering these particular questions that ultimately don't have all that much of an impact on the overall story? Yeah, that's great. Good, good words there. <laughs> Ali, what about you? Going off of that, I think that's a great way to phrase it because a lot of people have been kind of not so sure or have been criticizing those little tiny like idiosyncrasies that they're finding. But I mean, you could, for any Star Trek episode, you could find something wrong with it if you were really trying to find something wrong with it. Uh, but wrapping it back around to the whole like Bowel piece of technology, first of all, he had like a little instruction booklet. Either he drew that or did it come with the Bowel piece or did another Kelpian like have it or had Kelpians been using technology in the past? That's one thing where I was like, where did that little like diagram of how to do that come from? And did he draw it or, I mean, Saru obviously has that kind of Starfleet officer kind of persona where he's very curious. He's not really complacent with what's happening and, that would definitely be motivation enough to uh, try to send out a message to see if anyone could help. So maybe it, I, there's just a lot of questions, but I understand why not all the questions that I want to be answered will be answered because yeah. it was a short trick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also felt that the, the way that he had him question his father um, and just be so inquisitive kind of helped balance uh, any disbelief of his ability to use the technology, it, it kind of made me feel like, okay, you know, he's he's driven to do this. He's definitely asking a lot of questions um, and an inquisitive person and, and that type of, uh, you know, personality and motivation was convincing enough for me that he uh, could could figure out how to use the technology. Again, like the passing of time is helpful and everything. Uh I I think somewhere towards the part in the episode where he says goodbye to Serana, um, somewhere, it was somewhere be maybe before he met Giorgio, I'm not sure. Unfortunately, uh, somewhere on the internet, someone totally spoiled the guest star appearance for me. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't getting to watch the short tracks as they aired. Uh, they're on a night when I have another commitment. And so it would be at least a day or two before I got to watch them. And yes, both the brightest star and the escape artist were spoiled, uh, which really kind of, yeah, it's such a bummer. So despite that, by the time we got to him, Meeting Giorgio and Giorgio walking off the shuttle uh, somewhere in there, I pretty much burst into tears, especially when she told him that he was extraordinary. Uh, uh, there's something about these short tracks, and it's happened in everyone up to the escape artist, where there was some kind of affirmation like this um, between Tilly and Poe, like they both told each other, uh, you know, they were, I think. I think that Poe said she was being extraordinary, but then at the end of the episode, they both kind of gave each other an affirmation of, you know, you're, I don't remember the exact words, but you're, you're really great. You're, you're a really great person. And then even in Calypso, Kraft said that to Zora, he said, you're a really great woman. So I, that, that stuck out to me because I think it's really important to uplift other people. And I think that is, 
a facet of Star Trek. Uh, we don't see it all the time, but in the ways that characters work together and uplift each other, I just thought it was super special. Um, so what was your reaction when Giorgio walks off the ship? And of course, this is prime Giorgio. Um, Allie, did you did you lose it? <laughs> I definitely did. I was lucky enough not to have it spoiled for me. I also, before I had a chance to watch it, I didn't get to watch it immediately when it came out. So I stayed off social media because I knew that something yeah. would have happened or I would have come across something. But I love that they really wrapped it back around with Giorgio. I, I mean, then we come to see why Saru has an, a, an important connection with her in mm-hmm. the end in season one before all this stuff happens with Prime Jojo, but she she sees what he's done and, like you said, gives him kind of that affirmation. And it, to him, it, he was probably just doing what he thought was right, you know, why my people are getting taken and I'm just trying to reach out. But for him to, to be given that, I'm sure, was very meaningful for him. I love the little scene, too, where Jojo opens up the communicator and Discovery does this really well where you hear it translated into the mm-hmm. language and they have a few little dialogue points and then they're all speaking English. I yeah. love that. I yeah. love that. Alex, what about you? Oh, I, uh, I love the, uh, the Giorgio reveal. Um, I had, I saw a few people say on the internet afterwards that they, they thought it was, you know, small universe syndrome. And of course oh. it had to be a, a, a character from, uh, from one of the other shows. And I think that's totally missing the point. Yeah. Um, because I think that it really deepens the relationship between those two characters. You know, it's not like Odo showed up all of a sudden. Right. right? It's mm-hmm. it's a character who there clearly was a pre-existing relationship. We saw that from the very first few minutes of the Vulcan Hello. Um, uh, and really also, I think, highlights the kind of brother-sister relationship between uh, Saru and Burnham. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we kind of learn from this that you know, uh, Georgiou was not only Saru's commanding officer, but also effectively his mother figure in the same way that um, uh, that Georgiou uh, held that role for Burnham as well. And yeah. and it does kind of, I think, go back to, um, uh, to really help kind of highlight, you know, those opening scenes in the Vulcan Hello where you do have that kind of very sibling adversarial relationship between Saru and Burnham. It, it kind of does... I think deepen that and and enrich it by sort of in by demonstrating that it's because they both feel this really strong connection um, uh, to this captain and they both have really good reason to. Yeah, George you know, Yu was the character who kind of taught Burnham how to be a a, a human being um, after spending most of her life with Vulcans and. Georgiou was the was the character who rescued Saru from his home planet and and sort of opened up the whole galaxy before him. So when the shuttle came down, I had no idea the reveal was coming. Um, and when you saw the like three little um, uh, letters on the front of the shuttle that that was like S N Z or something like that, uh, yeah. I went, "Oh my god, is it going to be? Is it going to be?" And it was fabulous. <laughs> It was, I just loved it. I can't get enough of Prime Giorgio. So anytime we get to see her, it's just the best thing ever. And I'm sorry, but I feel like, uh, you know, criticizing that as being small universe syndrome is just criticizing for the sake of criticizing. Like you're missing the point. That's yeah, really I think that's right. Um, sorry, listeners. But uh, yeah, this was, it was just such a perfect way to wrap it up. And and he goes off with her and we have the quote, I saw hope in the stars. It was stronger than fear. And I went toward it. And even just saying that quote, I get a little choked up. Um, because again, for me personally, you know, if you've listened to the show uh, and you've, you've heard my story and what I've been through and, and why Saru has become just such a, such a powerful character for me, um, that that quote is is pretty much like a, a good summary of my life. Like I went through some very scary stuff, and I it was hard, but like I I, I saw that there was something better on the other side, um, and it just by then, I mean, I was just bawling and bawling and bawling. Uh, so, I, you know, Erica Lapolt and Boy Young Kim wrote this episode uh there i think it was this was the first episode written by 
actual writers from season one. And so I, I just applaud them. I think it was done really well. And this definitely, to me, it felt cohesive, even with the questions still put out there. I didn't feel like I was left in the dark or I was missing too much or there were plot holes or anything else. Um, Because again, the, the, and I guess the message here, the message that, you know, here's Saru in a situation which is basically impending death. And who wants to sit around and wait for their death? You know, he's the one person that's asking these questions uh, and and wanting to go out and explore and find answers. And he does that of his own accord, uh, which, again, is just something that's that's so very Star Trek. I just... I can't say enough good things about this episode or this, this short track. Um, so yes, Alex, is there any other points, anything that, that we didn't talk about that you want to mention about the brightest star? Just that in some ways I feel like it could have been longer. Um, yeah. You know, they, they, they clearly made the choice to make this, you know, a 15 minute short track, but this, this one easily um, could have been expanded out. Unlike um, the escape artist, which we'll get on to talking about, which I felt like was, the perfect length. If it had gone on any longer, it would have, the joke would have played out and would have felt very tired and forced. Yeah. This one though, there was, um, uh, I think there was a whole lot more that they could have mined. And I think, you know, we will see a lot more in season two. So I'll kind of, you know, hold any comments that are sort of critical about that. Um, uh, but it is the one that I, I sort of felt most like I, wanted a lot more out of this story i really liked what we got but it could have gone deeper it could have gone further and i and and i think we'll see that in season two which is why i think they went the short trek direction but at this point kind of between the two i i still have a ton of questions and i i really want to like dive deep into it because i love this character and i want and i want to see more absolutely ali what about you any anything we didn't talk about you want to bring up I just think I love I just I love how this short trek we really see how not just seeing Saru on the discovery and how he acts there but we see how he is a starfleet officer growing up and at home as well because he embodies all those characteristics of what we think a starfleet officer should be someone who's curious and someone who is not content with just letting things happen and and I actually I do wonder too there are the whole like, oh, well, prime directive questions here. But I wonder in the agreement, because Giorgio says that in the agreement we made with Starfleet to for me to take you, I wonder if it was even originally that, or if it was original that Saru would be joining Starfleet or if he would just have gotten off of Kaminar. So I wonder if, I mean, we see it. he embodies those characteristics. So obviously he was the perfect candidate for a Starfleet officer. And then we see him become one, the first Kelpian in Starfleet. Yeah. So I, I just, I love it. And then the, the resonant, just resonating with hope is greater than fear. That is just a basic principle of Star Trek. And it just, it just kind of closed it up so well. Yeah. I will say, and I didn't know, like the, the way they tied in the beginning, um, because he first says, since I was a boy, whenever I looked up, I saw hope. And then at the very end, we have the other, I ha- I saw hope in the stars. So just the the writing there and the way they tied that together, I thought was, was really nice and a nice little bow on a pretty package that is the brightest star. Uh, so I, I think we give this one a watch it, not that we're rating them, uh, but a uh, great little short trek, uh, not not required to read Fear Itself by James Swallow, but definitely do check out that book because it's still a really awesome Saru story um, and Discovery, or Shen, Shenzhou story, I guess, um, in and of itself. So I guess let's go ahead and move on to The Escape Artist. So our Harry Mud episode, which I've decided the actual name should have been Sipping Jippers on the Beach. <laughs> I still don't, I should have Googled what a jipper is. Did anybody, does anyone know what a jipper is besides just some kind of exotic drink, I assume? It, it's a made up term. Oh, okay. Hmm. Well, well, that, there we go. All Which right. just means that we have to come up with the recipe for a jipper. 
(laughs) We can do this before STLV. Uh, We've got it. That will be at the Tricorder Transmissions birthday party. (laughs) We'll figure out. We'll get Marty uh, from Reading Trek, since he's a bartender. We'll get Marty to make up a sipping jipper. He already made a drink that Disneyland wound up uh, you know, putting on the menu. So he makes good drinks. All right. Well, very cool. So this episode, I will say it, it's my least favorite short trek. That does not mean I feel negatively about it. Um, I just don't have as many notes on the escape artist as I did the brightest star. So I'm relying on Alex because I heard that Alex really liked this one, but I'm actually going to start off with Allie's reaction Allie, what did you think about The Escape Artist? I actually really liked it. I didn't even have a chance to watch it until, gosh, what was it, yesterday? So I am still coming with very fresh eyes out of it. I think that Rain Wilson does a fantastic Harry Mud. There are differences between TOS Mud and Discovery Mud, but I, I love the portrayal of that, you know, the feisty, interesting, devious Harry Mud and I, I still think it's very akin to the TOS character. And I, I just loved it. It was just, it it was the comic relief that we needed. And we still, there's a twist in it. I just loved it. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. And Alex, what about you? If I had any money, I'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. <laughs> this was my favorite short trek. Um, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really funny. Um, I thought the twist was really clever. Um, I thought that it was the most comfortable of all of the short treks being only 15 minutes long. Um, as I said before, it was exactly as long as it needed to be. It, it shouldn't have been any longer. Um, uh, and it, 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 I think I, it felt like the most kind of complete 15 minute vignette that wasn't or shouldn't have been something more than it was. Um, I thought Rain Wilson's performance was fabulous. It was super fun to see Harry Mudd again. Um, I don't know the extent to which I necessarily, you know, want to see him interacting with the Discovery crew again, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I enjoy seeing the character when there are sort of fun and interesting things to do with him. And I think this is, this is what that was. Um, I thought there were fun call-outs to the Star Trek canon. Um, and, and this actually made me really excited for Lower Decks. Yes. Uh, because so the, it was written by Mike McMahon, who is a writer on Rick and Morty and who is the new showrunner for the animated Star Trek Lower Decks series. Um, and I've never ro- watched Rick and Morty, so I, I, people love it, but I, I've just never seen it, so I, I don't know the style of humor. Um, but I really like the style of humor that Mike McMahon used in, in this, uh, in The Escape Artist. It felt, um, it was both respectful of the source material, but also, you know, sort of found the joy and the humor in it. Um, uh, there's the one line that Mud has about where he's hanging from the ceiling and he's talking to the Orion and he says, you know, I'll give you so much money that you could, um, uh, you can wear a cape. Uh, you'll be such a rich man, you can wear a cape. And, and, and why? Because rich men can do whatever they want. And, it, you know, it, I thought that was very funny and kind of tied back to the large number of capes that there were in the original series mm-hmm. um, and how they do to a modern audience look faintly ridiculous. Um, so I, I thought that that was really fun and it made me feel more confident that, you know, Lower Decks as a show, if it has that same kind of um, style of humor to it, um, which is reverent of the source material rather than being, you know, poking fun at the source material. Right. I actually think that could be a really fun project. And, and so I went from being sort of thinking about that and thinking, you know, I'm not sure. Sh- I, I, I really hope that lots of people love it. I don't know that it's going to be for me to immediate to turning 180 on it and being, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing this and seeing, you know, what comes of it. Yeah. I think that this was definitely a good exercise in showcasing Mike McMahon and what he can do, because I also have not seen Rick and Morty. I know a bajillion people who love it. Uh, I, I Maybe I've seen like five minutes of it, but there, it's just not really the type of entertainment that I care for. Uh, but I've heard great things. And, you know, this, I, I thought that this was done really well. And it definitely 
fit into the the 15 slash 20 minute uh, time slot really well. Um, I have to give a shout out. I don't think she listens to any of our podcasts, but uh, so I was really excited that my 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 Trekkie bestie Claire Little uh, did the recap for this for Trek Core and referred to <laughs> referred to Mud uh, in the the out the the black outfit as a Breen dominatrix, <laughs> which I just thought was absolutely hilarious, um, but. So she mentions in her article uh, because I, you know, part part of the setup here was that we we had Mud telling the story, and then we had these flashbacks, so to speak, to Mud in other circumstances, um, talking about you know being in these situations. Did you guys pick up on the fact that it could possibly be other Muds, or did you totally, I guess, fall for it? Allie? I, I totally fell for it. I had no idea. I was like, the, that's why the twist for me, I was literally like gaping at my television because I was like, what? <laughs> totally blew my mind. And I, it's, it's funny because I think part of the reason is that I was just like having a good time. I was just, yeah. and I was like, oh, this is totally everything that this is, this is Harry Mudd. Like this is what would happen. So I, when they threw the twist, I was like, no way it just blew my mind but I mean hey what quite an an ingenuity and a smart way to not get caught yeah I loved it Alex what about you did you fall for it yeah I thought it was uh I fell for it um uh and I thought it was uh it was it was a lot of fun seeing him in the different environments and then it being revealed that you know they were different android duplicates um it was it was just a it was a funny and and very fun twist yeah, unfor- like I said, unfortunately, somebody, <laughs> just stay off Twitter, guys, just stay <laughs> off. Uh, so I kind of had pieced it together. I still I still loved it because it was just, it was such a good tie-in to Mud and, and to iMud, especially, and the, the Android, the evolution of the Android, the great Android caper, we'll call it. Um, but in the TrekCore article, Claire pointed out that uh, all of the MUDs, all the Androids, androids must share a collective memory because you know the android was the one telling the story all along and he was he knew what these other androids went through uh so i thought that was really interesting because i it's not something i'd really give much thought to until afterwards and like oh okay it makes sense so did did you guys like did that come to mind after you put everything together that, that they share this collective memory, like almost, almost Borgish in a way, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the thing it made me think about was um, that he probably did that on purpose so that the androids would learn from each other's experience and get slightly better Ooh, at yeah. avoiding being caught or learning to be more authentically mud-like um, and that he programs each one with, you know, memories of the previous one so that it can, you know, seem more real and authentic and not just like it's, you know, sort of giving up. I mean, clearly the androids themselves had pretty limited operational capacity and utility um, because in each of the scenarios it was sort of the same thing that was happening and a lot of the same language was being used and so I think that's why I saw someone you know comment online about how well you know these mud if these mud androids exist you know why is data so special in the next generation a hundred years later I think you know it's 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 clear from this short trek that the androids don't really do very much. They don't really think for themselves. They're sort of programmed to pretend that way. Right. Like if you were dealing with um, uh, uh, talking to one of those, you know, uh, computer uh, phone systems, they they make you think they're real, but they're not. They're just kind of going through the motions. Um, yeah. That was sort of what the androids were as well. Yeah. Allie, any, any thoughts? Yeah, I... Actually, when they arrive on the Demilo, when Tevrin brings the android mud, uh, it's interesting because they 
when they open the doors to see all the other Android MUDs, it's it still seems though that the Android has no knowledge that it is an Android because you could see on the face of the the mud that Tevrin had with him that it was kind of like a surprise and then kind of just reverted back into the whole like sipping dippers on a beach somewhere yeah. and then they all said it and it was annoying but um <laughs> sipping dippers on a beach somewhere <laughs> yeah but I I think that is really interesting and definitely it would be smart to program them that way because yeah, they have similar patterns of speech and I'm sure that all the places that they were sending them off to had relatively the same thing happening where everyone's looking for mud anyways. So these kind of responses would be ideal for that situation. So I'm just still kind of flabbergasted by the fact that it, he he did this and i mean it just kind of shows his insanity like it's just like front and center and yeah it, it it's just like blows my mind and i mean i wonder though too because with all this obviously he is making a lot of money selling all these android muds to all these people that are trying to turn him into the federation so um in the end he is he's coming away with quite a bit of profit yeah. I really liked that the Harry Mud, the version that we saw of Harry Mud in, in this short track was a bit removed from the, as people like to say, darker version that we saw previously in the first season of Discovery. Um, you know, uh, Harry Mud is a bit of a controversial character uh, out there. And uh, this definitely felt more comedic than necessarily dark or, uh, you know, murderous. <laughs> uh, I, I, and I liked that. Um, I don't dislike the the way that they have the character in Discovery. I mean, I really enjoyed him. Uh, I'd, I, I've enjoyed this new interpretation of him, um, but... I, I liked that this was just a bit lighter than what we've seen before. Like no one died. No one was being blown up 50 times, 300 times, however many times it happened in magic to make the sanest man go mad. Um, but I don't know. I'm curious about Gerald's thoughts because I know it's been um, a talking point in this, this season about this hairy mud and what we've seen. And Claire had some really good insights in this article that I do want to read, and I guess I'll get your reaction to after. She says, the version of mud we've seen throughout Discovery is certainly darker and more overtly murderous than the one we meet in the original series, but I think it's a matter of degree, not distinction. Even in his original incarnation, mud was never straight comic relief, nor was he harmless. His humor and charisma were always calculated plays, and there was always a wide and unmistakable streak of ruthlessness running through his character. And I, she's, I just props to Claire. Like I tweeted that, but I just think that is so well worded, well written, um, and and accurate that it's just been a major complaint. I don't mean to go off on a big Harry Mudd tangent here, um, but I. I think that this character fits in with TOS mud more than more than a lot of people want to give him credit for. Um, and so I'm just curious, Alex, what, what do you think about about what Claire said and about this character and discovery overall? Oh, I think Claire is 100 percent right, um, because. The character as portrayed in the original series might have been comedic, but what he was trying to do was not really all that comedic. I mean, yeah. the, you know, the ultimate outcome of the schemes in I Mud and in Mud's Women um, were pretty nefarious. Um, yes, it was played for laughs, but, you know, there is, it, it's still not, he, he was not a harmless criminal, we'll put it that way. Um, and I think the escape artist kind of serves to provide a, a bridging link between the behavior of Harry Mudd in Choose Your Pain and Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad and with his appearances in the original and the animated series. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to kind of demonstrate that this character that we saw in this certain situation in Discovery Season 1 who had more of a harder edge to him because of the particular circumstances in which he found himself then, you know, does sort of 
does have these kind of more um, uh, peculiar depths to him that leads you into the uh, into the more lighter and comedic side of the character. So I thought it was a really nice way of linking the two. And of course, we we can't go uh, without mentioning uh, that one of the uh, android muds in the DeMilo uh, cargo bay um, was wearing the the purple blazer with the epaulets mm-hmm. um, yeah. and the tassels uh, from uh, very similar to the to the coat that Roger Carmel wore um, yeah. in his appearances in the original series. I love that. We'll talk a little bit more about these tie-ins in a second. Um, Allie, what about you? I thought that it, it was very, even when Mud appeared in season one, I thought that it was very appropriate for Discovery because Discovery does kind of take a darker tone because of the war and everything going on. So I I honestly thought it was fine. And I did I did like too, though, that this kind of gave us, it was just completely different than the other short tricks. And that's why I think it was really refreshing for me. It It definitely provided a little bit of comic relief, but also, you know, just just something different. We, we had from runaway, we had two people making a connection and realizing what, what they could do. And Calypso, we had a kind of, kind of love story, but not really. And then brightest star, we had a origin story. And then this with, with the escape artist was something completely different as well. So I just think that that's why the short tracks were done so well, because each of them, was something different. We didn't feel like we were getting overkill on, oh, we don't want two origin stories back to back. We kind of want to space them out. We want to make it fresh and keep it, keep it moving coming into season two. Yeah. I think if anything, I might've just switched the, or I would have preferred to have had the escape artist and then the brightest star just because the brightest star to me just sets up going back into discovery whereas the escape artist uh, you know i'm not sure if we know that we're gonna see uh harry mudd again or not and i I, there's not enough there i think to make like a harry mudd spinoff type of thing like i i like the character and i i like rain wilson and what he's done with it and i you know would like to see more of him but i don't necessarily know that i want to see more of him within discovery, if that makes sense. But yeah, I just, I would have switched them, but that's just a personal thing for me. Uh, I still, I still thought this was a lot of fun. And as Alex has noted, there were quite a few references, tie-ins to other episodes. So Alex, do you want to like name off what you saw? I'm sure I got some. I'm sure Allie got some, but you're the expert here. You're so good at this on Trek Core. (laughs) So so I'm, I'm handing the reins over to you. We had the Tellarite, um, Tevrin Crit, um, which was who was played by the same actor who played the Tellarite Admiral in Discovery Season One, towards the end of the season. Um, we had Orions, uh, who we also saw in the Discovery Season One finale. Uh, Klingon. Um, we, as I say, Mud was wearing the the one of the Muds was wearing uh, the jacket. Uh, the, a similar jacket to the jacket that Roger Carmel wore when he appeared uh, in the original series. Um, on the ship at the end, uh, you can see the Andorian space helmet that Mud emerged from the space whale wearing um, uh, in Magic to Make the Same as Man Go Mad kind of propped up uh, against the side. And then Tevrin Crit, uh, when he's recounting um, Mud's crimes also mentions one count of penetrating a space whale, oh, God. Uh, which I think was a magic famous <laughs> man go mad reference. Um, oh. Which Mud's response was, you know, you had to be there. Yeah, um, and I think that was it. Okay, yeah, I think I caught most of that, and then of course the whole tie-in with the android storyline, which I yes. just I just thought that was that was really the genius part. For me, I just, it, even though it spoiled it, like I, I still didn't know how it was all going to play out. Right. So at least I didn't lose that whole part. Uh, and, and that's good. Cause that still made it fun for me. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it was such a great setup. And, and I really like what you said, Alex, about this short trek kind of being a bridge between this, this darker 
version of mud and the slightly more comedic version of mud that we see uh, in TOS. But yeah, listen for another podcast we'll eventually do about Harry Mudd and how he, yeah, sex trafficking is bad. And just, okay, I'll just stop there. I I have words. Um, (laughs) All right. Was there anything about this episode that you wanted to note that we have not talked about, Allie? Oh gosh. I, I guess I will mention first, uh, the, the one joke that I thought resonated the most with me or I thought was hilarious was when he is in the little like Orion prison. And when he's talking about the capes and he's like, Oh, it'll make everyone green with envy. And then he's like, Oh, (laughs) greener. (laughs) I, I thought that was hilarious, but I, I love this little inside look into, I mean, not just, we, we see mud almost go through these kind of, the dialogue with the androids are very much the same in both of the stories and the, what we thought was a flashback. But I mean, I, I imagine that mud would say very much the same things if it was actually him. Yeah. We really kind of just see how he works and we, we get kind of an inside look into how he would handle a situation like this. And for me, it was spot on. Yeah, same. Alex, what about you? Sipping jippas on a beach, jippas <laughs> on a beach, jippas on a beach. I, I just thought it was really fun. It was fun. It was funny. Um, uh, a really nice, you know, morsel um, to take us into the second season. And then we're a week away now from uh, from Star Trek Discovery Season 2 as of the time of recording this episode. And I cannot wait. Yes. And I will say for our listeners, so we we just recently released our character deep dive on Ash Tyler. Um, we still have Dr. Hugh Culber and Michael Burnham to do, and we are going to do them. I know they're, they're not all done before we start to the season yet, but one of the things with Dr. Culber, and sorry for a tangent, but I feel like a lot of, a lot of what's like we've said what there is to say about Dr. Colbert and, and what happens. And part of why I want to save it is to see what happens with his character in season two. I'm not saying we're going to wait until the end of season two or wherever we see him again. I just, I really want to talk about that character when we know a little bit more about how he's coming back to the show. Spoilers, sorry. Uh, and then Michael Burnham will do after that. Um, but yeah. I can't believe next week the show's coming back. I am so super excited to see Pike um, and Spock and the crew and see what happens. But I, so I had done some polls because for me, I have a hard time ranking these. Like I just, I, 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 even despite like not totally loving the escape artist, just because it didn't, I didn't have like an emotional reaction to the escape artist, nor did I really have an emotional reaction to Calypso. So for me, certainly Runaway and The Brightest Star are kind of like, Brightest Star is my, my top favorite, and then Runaway, and then Calypso, and then Escape Artist. But in the poll that I ran, uh, I ran it via the our Disco Trek Twitter, which is just at Disco underscore Trek. Uh, I, the escape artist was in the lead until like the last 30 minutes and Calypso jumped in uh, and won the prize. So I'm curious for you guys, how you rank these short tracks. I guess Alex will go with you first. So uh, escape artist, brightest star, Calypso runaway for me. And uh, just backwards. (laughs) Yeah. And, but it's, it's pretty much a tie between Calypso and runaway. And yeah. for me, just because something is at the bottom doesn't mean that I didn't like it. I actually right. Right. I just liked yep. the other ones more. Yeah, exactly. Same here. Um, Allie, what about you? Mine is exactly the same as Alex's. Um, I'm having a really tough time, though, between, like, I feel like Brightest Star and Runaway are on the same level for me. Yeah. So I it's so hard for me to interchange them because I did really like runaway as well. It, I, it was very like personal to me and emotional for me that like connection between Poe and Tilly. Yeah. So it's sometimes just so hard to choose. I like them all. So. Yep. yep. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to, <laughs> I hope we're never on track ranks to, to rank the short tracks. <laughs> that would be so, so super difficult. Um, 
but yeah, I, this, this experiment in Trek, I think was a success, at least for, for the three of us here, it seems. And, and many of our friends that got to watch them. Um, my hopes that by the time we get the next ones, everyone outside of the U S and Canada gets to watch them. Uh, my understanding was that they were airing in Canada. Is that correct? Yes, they were airing in Canada. They just were not airing. They were airing in the U.S. and Canada and not anywhere else. And that's it. So, yeah, I mean, super bummer. And I, you know, no, not going to place blame because there's a lot going on and how it gets out there. But I felt bad for all of our friends uh, who are who are not in the U.S. and Canada. Um, and I hope they get to watch them very, very soon. Uh, nobody wants to be left out of Star Trek. So to all the, the big executives that listen to our little podcast here, please take those words to heart. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So I guess that wraps up our Short Treks reviews. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys again. I think by the time this gets released, uh, I'm not sure when it's going to come out, but hopefully before next season starts, we'll we'll be in the unofficial Star Trek Las Vegas convention group. Again, just look for uh, the Disco Trek album art. There will be information about the episode that we're talking about, recording time, all that jazz. And all you got to do is comment to be entered. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to continue the conversation, uh, Alex, where can we find you on social media? The uh, best place to find me is on Twitter. I am at Alexander T. Perry. And if you're interested in Weekly Trek, the weekly news show, you can find it also on Twitter at Weekly Trek. Yay, so excited. Oh. And Allie, where can we find you? I can also be found primarily on Twitter. I go by the 23-year-old Trekkie and the handle there is at ttrucky. I'm at the same handle on Instagram. My website is ttrucky.wordpress.com. Also, if you want to send me an email, you can get in contact with me. My email is the.ttrucky at gmail.com. Woohoo! And watch out for Tal Talk Tuesdays. <laughs> yes, I. If you didn't watch this last week, I did a character exploration events in row doing today. So give it a watch. Very very cool. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at lla posper, which is l l a p a w s p e r. Uh, the show, as I said, is at disco underscore trek. Our network is at tricorder show. Uh, we are the tra the tricorder transmissions.com and that is the same on Patreon. It's just patreon.com slash the tricorder transmissions. We would love to have you join our Patreon family. We're also just really happy that you listen. Um, and, and we're super excited when we get reviews for our shows, not just disco Trek, but all a million 47 shows here on the tricorder <laughs> transmissions network we don't have 47 maybe one day uh but we do have a lot of great shows that you should definitely check out uh so pop onto the website and and find us there in the meantime let's get revved up for season two of discovery live long and prosper and long live the empire see you later guys if I had any money, I'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. I'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. If I had any money, I'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. If I had any money, I'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere. If I had any money, I'd be sipping jippers on a beach. Jippers on a beach. Jippers on a beach. Jippers on a beach.